Welcome to the Designing Hollywood Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Meyer Burnett. The Designing Hollywood Podcast is dedicated to all things movies, the movie industry, and its talented professionals. Today's guest is a Mexican award-winning costume designer and the first Latina in Oscar history to be nominated for Best Costume Design. She is known for her designs in Disney's miniseries WandaVision, which just won an Emmy, and films like Apocalypto, Avatar, John Carter, World War Z, Warcraft, Thor Ragnarok, and Jojo Rabbit, Rabbit, the latter most of which earned her an Academy Award and BAFTA Award nominations. She's been at the forefront of science fiction costuming for two decades, earning her first Oscar nomination for her work in Jojo Rabbit in 2020. Her name has also appeared in the credits of monster hits like Avatar, Apocalypto, Thor Ragnarok, and others. It's her constant hunt for a challenge and penchant for fantastical worlds that has drawn her to such unique projects. In a design career spanning two decades, she has collaborated with visionary directors such as Mel Gibson, Zhang Mu, leading studios such as Legendary and Marvel, and screen stars including Kate Blanchett, Ruth Nega, Brad Pitt, and Andy Lau. Her early collaborations laid the foundations for a career that has demanded enormous versatility. She began working as an assistant costume designer and costume supervisor, gaining experience with designers Shay Cunliffe, Erica Adele Phillips, Ellen Morogenic, and Enrico Sabatini, the latter becoming her career mentor. Without further ado, it is my pleasure to introduce the very talented costume designer, Mayas C. Rubeo, to the Designing Hollywood podcast. Thank you. I'm very happy to I, be here. I, I got to tell you, I, I, I'm going to geek out a little bit because I'm going to take this off now. I'm a huge fan of your work. And as I was talking to you earlier, recently I did a, a podcast about Blood In, Blood Out, which is a film you were uh, assisting on at the, at the beginning of your career. Yes. And I'm curious. I mean, to me, that's that was such a, a seminal film about Latina culture, Latino culture here in Los Angeles, East Los Angeles specifically. And bringing your heritage with you has influenced so much of your work. I mean, whether it's Apocalypto uh, and then the designs you did for the Navi, which were sort of, they were, of course, native to Pandora. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, John Carter and the stuff between not just the humanoid characters, but the Tharks. How much of your heritage uh, do you put into your science fiction and fantasy work? Because it would seem like it's a lot. Uh I have in the past, you know, it has been, uh, you know, like climbing a, a, a hill. Uh, going up to that hill, it was, uh, you know, the most helpful, you know, ladder steps were Apocalypto. That is still my, you know, my battle horse. I, it gets me like every job interview I can imagine is still up to now. Apocalypto has been oh. that. And uh, for a number of years, I've been I put it in a slot that I can only do tribal stuff, uh, which is something that, you know, I did, I did capitalize on that because I needed to move, uh, you know, keep moving and keep moving forward. And the uh, projects that, you know, fell on, lap, on my lap were a little bit of uh, derivation from working in Apocalypto, which was a, a you know, a very uh, complicated and innovative kind of uh, design 
depicting the Mayan culture that has never been depicted before in the uh, in the in the film history, and that was uh, you know I think we cracked it, and it was very welcome. And from there, you know I got many many offers to do tribal, you know, Avatar, working with uh, Jim Cameron for the Navis and bringing a little bit of that influence. Now, wait a minute. Um, Jim had a very, very specific idea about what the navvies will be. So I guess, you know, I came to compliment of what he had already uh, worked on for a long time before I walked into, into Avatar, you know, world. Um, then came John Carter of Mars with the Tharks and that again the information of the Tharks being tribal and that was that was very cool. I loved it. Then John Carter gave me the opportunity also to work with uh, Armor which also fell into another category of like many movies working on Armor. Now I do a lot of Armor you know after that. As so, Guardian Armor. As guardian armor, <laughs> I do, uh, you know, I did Helimites, I did uh, Sudangas, I did uh, Chinese legions, you know, in the Great Wall, uh, so on and so forth, uh, Warcraft, you know. And, uh, but also, these movies have many sections in where there is not only that, they're very versatile. So mm -hmm. that's why I've been accepting these kind of jobs, because it gives me... Uh, an opportunity to open another door into another kind of designs. Okay, yes, I can do this and I can do that. A costume designer should be able to work in any kind of costumes, a complete costume designer, you know. I consider myself old-fashioned, old-school, not old-fashioned, old-school, uh, in where uh, you don't really choose... Uh, the projects that are going to be offered to you, they come to you and then you decide to get them or not. If you have, uh, you have to know your limits and how capable you will be to deliver this kind of job. And for me it has been, like you said in my introduction, yes, anything that is challenging uh, creatively, I'm interested and uh, so that's the first thing, you know, because it's new, because it's gonna get me in another, in another uh, wave of the time traveling, or you know, uh, situations of uh, that are far away from my, you know, normal life, and that moves me. That really gets me going, and uh, that is why, you know. Uh, I don't like to be put in a slot like, you know, only do tribal, you only do this. We do everything. Sure. Now, I'm curious about, you know, your process. Suddenly, you're working with Mel Gibson on Apocalypto, an uh, extraordinary movie. But your job then is to recreate a civilization that disappeared. And how, how did you begin your process of designing a film like Apocalypto? Um, I, uh, one of my, uh, biggest, uh, pleasures in life is to, to look for books, to own books, to look at books 
and I have a big uh, research library in my studio in Italy. When Mel Gibson called me through a dear, you know, uh, producer friend from Mexico, her name is Anna Roth. She called me in Italy, and I was, uh, you know, and that, he said, "Let me, let me give you Mel Gibson, and he wants you to come to Mexico, Veracruz, in two days." So I gathered all my information, you know, books and books I had of, uh, of uh, you know, Mexican civilization, uh, pre-Columbian, you know, uh, conquest, all of that. That was that is my uh, dream movie to design, the conquest of Mexico. Now I'm ready. Now I can do that. <laughs> yeah, I can definitely do that movie. I I think I prepare all my life to do that. Uh, I hope I. You know, I get to do that movie, even if it's the last project I do, is something close to me. But anyway, Mel uh, uh, asked me to come to Mexico. I came with codex, like you know, books of codex and and different you know eras of Mayan cultures and design and and how I would like extract the. Uh, the looks of the of the Mayas from really you know bar relief that existed. There was an, a, enough information for the movie we were making, and then because he didn't want to be literal, gave me the opportunity to give it that twist mm. for uh you know a period of uh, of weeks for a number of weeks we didn't know what we were doing. I started to do very historical. Very, very historical. And um, he called me and said, you know what? That's not going to work. We're going to give we're going to give something to this movie. You know, I need I need not to be so literal about the Mayan cultures. And I said, OK, I get it. You know, and I propose next week I'll show and tell And You know, he went for it. And uh, because we needed to do. Uh, you know, shanty town to the top of the pyramid. I had, you know, I wasn't gonna go bothering him every time I do a design. Hey, look, you know. <laughs> so I just, he just gave me, uh, you know, uh, carta bianca, like they say, like I said, go for it. And he will show up to the set. He was happy. And, uh, and that's how it went with the apocalypto. So you actually, I like the idea that you had a chance to be creative. You weren't a slave to historical accuracy. Yes. Now, do you think, do you think that that kind of cinematic design led you like when someone, because that's one of the things about Apocalypto that I think is striking are, are your designs. And was it because of that, that you were later tapped by James Cameron to do Avatar because obviously with the research you've done into to indigenous culture and how they've developed. I mean, what I thought was really genius about Avatar was how sometimes you would use like insect wings to put over the eyes. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of amazing design work. Yeah. I mean, obviously one of the great things about Avatar is you, they could write books about the, the, the whole culture of Pandora and right. how much leeway were you given? Like when you come on a project like, avatar where a lot of it the the uh the navi are obviously cg creations yes. and you had to deal with the human future the future of of the the 
the humans that have you, you saw a little bit on Earth, which you see more of in the right. So you had the future Earth, the future humans, and then the native Navi. How do you begin that process? Well, I was just hired to do Navis. I didn't oh. do any of the rest of the movie. Uh, Navis was my section and where I came and actually, you know, uh, designed, you know, many of the main characters uh, under the uh, supervision of Jim. Jim is very, very involved with his, you know, characters and his... Uh, so I did I did the costumes. Uh, actually, they weren't just drawings; they were actual costumes, and they will put them in a nine feet tall maquette. They will wow. be yes, and that will be the process of them having that this kind of reference. This is like at the beginning of uh, motion capture. Uh, I think I think I like to think that it was probably like uh, the first major production of uh, motion capture that, uh, you know, that Jim took it to that level. That was uh, that was my contribution. And uh, yes, it was a derivation from Apocalypto. I like to believe that. Yeah, I mean, I absolutely mm -hmm. think so. And mm -hmm. let me ask you this, when you're dealing with natives that are using available materials, like did you have to consult with people what kind of leather? You know, you've got alien, we don't have, there's no cows on Pandora. Yeah. There's six-legged alien creatures so did you have to like pick your fabrics like how did you come yes, up with that i think we have to convert uh leathers painting with like uh you know oil slick kind of paintings that resemble pouches and nothing really came from animals because the navi people don't kill all their animals they it came from nature like leaves and like their environments oh, it was really beautiful yeah i mean really yeah. striking design work yeah. and really clever use of of like i was saying insect wings and you yes. did a, a phenomenal job yes. so then so now you had experience with motion capture and then moving forward to something like john carter where again you're designing it's a period piece on earth and then you're designing were you only doing the Tharks or were you also doing, you were doing everyone? Everyone. So yeah. you had, you had Victorian England uh, and then, uh, then, well, actually the Southwest, there's America, you know, the, yes. so civil war, you go civil war era America. Yes. And then you, you, uh, design the, how many different, there's, there's what, three, four different armies on, on, or people on, on Mars, on Barsoom? Barsoom had two major, uh, uh, you know, kingdoms. It was the Sodanga and the Helumites. Uh, and uh, uh, the uh, Dejatoris was the princess of Mars, and she was a Helumite. And then, um, uh, you know, there was also the Matai Shang, you know, uh, portrayed by uh, Mark Strong. He did a great job so in that. Great. And that I made those costumes that look like almost like a, like Augustinian monks from Mars. They were in every costume. They were uh, probably fifty yards of fabric. Wow! And uh, because it was pleated ever so tiny, that we have to use so much fabric, and it went downwards like that, right? And it was. Uh, well, that was a lot of fun. It looked like a matter, like a, 
like the underneath from a mushroom looking, you know, kind of very, very strange. And then the Tharks, too, you're dealing with another native culture that was sort of an evolution from Apocalypto to uh, Avatar. Now you're the Tharks with more than one arm or two yeah, exactly. arms. I mean, yeah. Um, now, did you were those also influenced by the work you had done on Apocalypto and and um, Avatar? I, it probably did, but I, I just wanted to, like, uh, give it another, you know, I mean, it's, I probably did, it did uh, carry on in, until then. And then, you know, that was the movie that gave me many other outlets, like the, you know, 18, uh, end of the 18, uh, 1865 uh, London, and, uh, you know, the Confederates and, and all of that, and uh, patches, and um, they gave me many other outlets to sh- to really say, you know, here, I can also do, you know, Victorian stuff. I can also do, you know, uh, American history costumes. And and th- that was good. That was good. I mean, that's like uh, many years ago, it was necessary for me to really do a movie like that in order to not get put into that slot. Right. And you, it's so many different. And the design work in that film is extraordinary. I'm a huge fan of, of John you. Carter. Now, how often or how, how with all these movies, with the science fiction films that you've, you've done so many now, how closely do you work with the production designers in terms of, uh, obviously, it's when you're working in, say, Victorian England, you're kind of limited by what they wore in Victorian England. But you've worked with so many, the whole worlds are being created right. with the, the world of Pandora, the world of, of Barsoom. So when you come on board, does the script influence you or are you working with the production designers? Are you looking at artwork or things that have been generated? Or do you get to contribute from the beginning to the overall look of the world? Like how closely do you work with the production designer? I always work tandem with the production designer because uh again old school comes uh you know we have to be i mean we cannot work separate because it's chaotic it's a disaster you know when that you can see the separation costumes and and sets i always you know i'm always part of the meetings they have uh, as soon as they you know I'm, i am very well informed or what's going on with the art department. And um, yeah, it's necessary. I mean, there is no other way to work when you're trying to create a look at design. Now, also, I've asked a few uh, other costume designers about cinema, the cinematographers as well. Obviously, the color, the fabrics, the way the lighting design of the film. Do you also work with directors of photography? Absolutely, yes. And makeup in her, de- in her department. I... Uh, most of the job of the uh, work I do, I design also in my sketches. I have, you know, from head down, uh, a purpose, you know, the whole look. Then, then the hair designer comes and uh, try to accommodate to that. Mm. Uh, sometimes they bring other things to the table. Um, it is, uh, it is a, you know, complete collaboration. Uh, you can tell when uh, when uh, departments are disjointed when uh, in a movie, when don't things go coherent, 
to each other to the, uh, or to the character or to the whole look of the movie. Well, and and another thing that I find interesting is, like you said, for Avatar, the they made such leaps in motion control and, and motion capture, not motion control, but motion capture technology. Well, they extended that, like beginning with the Navi, then you moved on to like the Tharks again, mm-hmm. where some motion control also just in all CG creations, and yet, yet you're still working. And as CG has become more and more important in terms of character design, obviously you we haven't talked about your work with Marvel yet, but there's a lot of CG combination work in terms of fabrics and CG yeah. augmentation. What's that like for you to work with characters that a lot of them are motion capture? Does that make your job harder? And how do you approach approach that? The no matter what kind of technique uh visual effects is using, they're always gonna need to have a reference of a costume. Whether the actor is wearing it or is like presented into a maquette or by itself or in a hanger, they need that. Because uh, when you are in a movie that demands so much design work. It's not fair to leave it to what after we all go home, when the movie's wrapped, there is the post-production. This is when all the magic of the visual effects is happening. Sure. It is impossible, I can tell you, it's impossible that all the roto artists and the post-production designers, uh, you know, that they do the work of 3D or whatever, ZBrush, they cannot they cannot uh, take the, the the role of a costume designer. They cannot design the costumes that we already designed if, uh, if they don't see it. I mean, it's not just enough in paper. They have to see it happening and how it moves and the kind of fabric. Uh, if it's a velvet, what kind of velvet? It's a velvet that is gonna like, you know, capture light or it's a velvet that is going to deflect light. Uh, all of those, they cannot know it. We have to give it to them. So for me, visual effects are normal. I, I'm still making every costume that is going into the movie. For sure. Unless you're doing like, a, you know, Iron Man, and you have to do like this much, and then they do all of, you know. But right. still, yeah. And that the Iron Man costumes... Have, have evolved since 2008. They have to put a different one in every movie. Well, now I, I think we should get to, you know, your work with Marvel has been obviously you just won an Emmy for your work on WandaVision, which the thing, one of the things I loved about, obviously with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, you have decades of costumes as shown in the comic books themselves. And it's almost like every movie that Marvel makes, every director that comes on board gets to sort of reinvent those costumes. And one of the things I loved about Thor Ragnarok was it really went back to Jack Kirby mm-hmm. and the colors of of Jack Kirby's design. And that was something that was really intentional. It gave the movie a, a different Style. look. And then, you know, I think back to one of my favorite costumes in Marvel is Jeff Goldblum's costume <laughs> you know jeff goldblum is the grand master yeah you know when you when you first got approached to do uh had i know you've worked now with taika watiti 
uh, on, on now what three movies? Yeah, this is my my third project, the last one. The last Daikan, one, yes. The, the Blood uh, or uh, Love, Love and Thunder. Love and Thunder, yes. But when you came on to Ragnarok, there were two previous Thor films, and there was a number of other movies that Thor appeared in. What did Taika Waititi tell you? about how you wanted the how he wanted Thor to look different because Thor and Loki look different. The Hulk has his gladiator costume. Mm-hmm. You've got the Grandmaster, you got Valkyrie. You really right. got to you got to design characters costumes that have we hadn't seen before. Yes. Um it was uh it was was very clear for Taika that his collaboration with Marvel in in this on um, Thor number three will be he will be bringing a lot of color he thought there weren't enough color in the previous stars so that was like one part in where with uh you know he said we're gonna put most of the color on sakar because sakar is the crazy uh kind of uh world where the grandmaster lives oh with the with marble is they have a very fantastic group of artists uh, called, you know, uh, visual uh, development. In my case, I've been lucky to be working with uh, Andy Park, which is what the director of uh, visual development for the movies that I've been working. We have a very uh, shorthand relationship. They actually, the voice of uh, what, you know, the creators of these Marvel movies make. So it's a collaboration we do, um, but many of this, I mean, most of the stuff, I have to do it like out of my, you know, complete uh, mind and uh, and the director and, you know, everything, everything that we do with Marvel is, is uh, designed and approved and built just for this properties and uh very very well you know oil machine uh, he's they they got it together i'm very happy to be working with them yeah they, I mean, they just do i mean i just keep thinking about ragnarok i mean kate blanchett hella like yes. when you get an opportunity to to work like like i'm curious about the headdress yes you know that she wears was that something that the design group came up with did you because that's we, also very kirby-esque and yeah we did it together, like many things we do, but also, uh, you know, there are many things you bring to the tables, uh, textures and uh, the fabrics and the way the, you know, the headpiece moves and uh, what kind of, uh, you know, magic look we'll have and all of that is uh, for, uh, we build the headpiece uh, uh i got to this company called ironhead studios which i love working with them because of the incredible precision and artistry and uh professionality i mean i'm not making a commercial out of ironhead but i do i do serve myself a lot there um there are many other uh specialty houses quantum uh rushing gold uh legacy you know they're all like top notch weta is amazing uh for hella i went to to ironhead studios and we did three kinds of headpieces merely because uh 
you know, technically it's impossible to block a scene without headpiece. <laughs> as soon as she goes, oh yes, she, you know, she's gonna hit somebody. Shadows are gonna be on top of the other actor, uh, you know. And uh, so we just had the, that headpiece for steals. Sure. Right. Yeah. yeah and yeah. then we just had mock-up. Yeah, so. it's, it's CG, but it still had to be designed, like you said. Oh my God! Yes. All and, and I, I think one of the again, you talked about armor. One of the really fun things I think about Ragnarok is that Thor and uh, Hulk yeah. are wearing gladiatorial. They get to get in the gladiator gladiator fighting in, in yes. an arena, and so did Korg. I mean, Taika Waititi's character. Yes. Uh, you got to direct or de uh, develop and design a yeah. rock man's costume. How oh do you, how God. do you start doing that? Um, well, we start. Uh, you know, uh, Taika brings a lot to the table. Taika, if he can't tell you exactly in words what he wants, he will draw it in front of you. It's like here, and uh, so of course there are many. We make many, many, many designs until. All of us agree, oh, this is the good one. And we have this combination of this, and then maybe we'll put this color, uh, you know, Sakarian piece for Thor. It will inform and it looks cool. And, you know, it's like, it's, it's, it's so many, so many things to consider, you know, every time you design these kind of movies. It's always fun. Yeah. And then you, of course, had Tessa Thompson yeah. as Valkyrie. She, or is there, I'm curious with the Marvel stuff, do they favor certain textures of fabrics so there's sort of a uniformity across all of their hero characters? Because they, it seems like a lot of them have, there's like a style, like a Marvel house style in terms of how the heroes, at least if they're wearing leathers or armors, yeah. is, or do they have, is there like an Asgardian style guide that the Asgardians use this fabric and say the Grandmaster, like the Grandmaster, I love that costume so much. Thank you. And, and and he looks great in it. Yeah. And I, what what did what went into that? I mean, the colors and the uh, design. The colors, it looks like it's, it's so just, intricate. You know, if you think about the Grandmaster, he's the most uh, charming, uh, tyrannical uh, uh, bon vivant, right? <laughs> All right. And. Uh, he, yeah, he's going to torture people, but with style, and he's still going to listen to his jazz of like, a, it's it's amazing. I mean, I got to work with him again, and it's just incredible, Grandmaster is. Um, but uh, it was like, uh, it was, it was like a Hugh Hefner in Sakar, but, you know, <laughs> it's like so many combinations, but... Uh, more flashy and why not slip one slip off and it all went into this uh crazy design and uh you know wearing sandals so <laughs> and that's now, it now i'm curious like when you come on a show like that obviously benicio del toro was mm -hmm. not in the movie but in the mythology he's the grandmaster's brother like they're they're family kind yeah, of he's the collector he's the collector now when you were designing, when you're working on the Grandmaster, did you have to go back and look at something like Guardians of the Galaxy and see that, okay, maybe the Collector and the Grandmaster came from the same place? Or were you given, did you not have to do that? Uh, when we did Ragnarok, um, 
they bring the cousin of the collector, and I have to make is the guy that gets tortured in the uh, chair next to Thor with the, I mean, he just bites the dust, but uh, it's kind of like a funny and sad uh, scene. Yes, I looked into the collector, but, uh, you know, I made her, his, uh, his cousin look uh, a little bit more dope Right. Than him because uh, because he had more money now and he was being corrupt and everything. So that was a <laughs> that's a great. Now, I have to say, obviously, leading up to your your Emmy Award winning yeah. turn on WandaVision. Thank you. Uh, first of all, going through the history of American sitcoms, I can only imagine how much fun it must have been to do this show. It was. I mean, it's you. How do you like when they told you what they wanted to do in WandaVision? You're, you've got. Did you were you a fan of American sitcoms growing up? And oh yes, oh yes. I I watch uh, all the sitcoms. Uh, Bewitched. It will be Echisada, or uh, you know, I love Lucy. Was uh, I love Lucy? Uh, Dick Van Dyke and. We had also the Dream of Genie called Mi Bella Genio. And all of those, I grew up at the Monsters. You know, I grew up watching all those, uh, uh, Gilligan Island. All of those dubbed in Spanish. Yeah. So it was, uh, you know, the jokes were pretty different, but there was so much entertaining. But... Every day that was part of American, I mean, uh, Mexican uh, television when there were like only three channels. And uh, it was uh, channel two, five, and eight. And, you know, each one would show with like uh, divide and conquer all these uh, uh, American sitcoms. It was, um, it was fun. That I feel I have, I share the same feelings with. Wanda Maximoff because uh, I grew up watching those and so she did. So I say, hey, look, how funny. <laughs> it's like uh, we have something to share. Um, and then, you know, I mean, my director and my uh, Matt Shackman, he was so amazing in guiding us through this path of uh, going through the um, the sitcoms and exactly because they, it's vast. He made us dial in and make it work, you know, like uh, like the first episode. There's not, it's like four characters in the whole, five characters in the whole show. And, and uh, you know, it made it happen. It made it happen and it made it really, really almost theatrical. He has uh, uh, an incredible background in theater also. I think he's still creative director for the uh for the Geffen uh, Theater. I mean, all this, all this kind of expertise, it shows in his work. And, uh, and especially in that, in that episode called uh, Film in Front of the Live, uh, you know, audience. It, it was so brilliant because on the day he also had the audience being come and dressed in the, in, you know, in fifth, late 50s costumes. And um, he encouraged the crew 
all of us. I mean, we had producers. The line producer was wearing like a, you know, a 1950s jacket. And, <laughs> you know, and that was so lovely. It, uh, very good ingredients. It, uh, it was a dream, not only because you doing all those fashion periods, let alone, you know, doing the, all those uh, fashion periods, but through the sitcoms, through the American sitcoms, which is part of, uh, you know, of historic collective memories, you know, of, of the present that we know of, like, uh, you know, uh, American television or t a television in the world or techniques of television, uh, cinemascope, and then Technicolor, and then all of those is how uh, we apply them. I mean, I think even our director of photography went to Technicolor and they created incredible, you know, lenses for every episode so we can do those kind of tricks uh, so we can match it. Yeah, I mean, it looks exactly the lighting down to the the, the cinematography, this the way the cameras, the single yeah. camera as opposed to multicam. It was genius. It was genius. It was genius. Yeah. Now, I have to ask, one of the things I found really interesting that the Marvel Cinematic Universe had only really done one other time before, which was in Captain America, the first Avenger, you got to recreate classic, the Vision and Scarlet Witch for the Halloween costumes were their classic costumes from the comics and it you know everyone's like well why fans are always like well why don't why don't the costumes look like they look like in the comics and you guys were able to say this is why because you made these perfect recreations of the vision and scarlet witch from the classic comics yeah and they were great i mean but you can't make a movie today with those costumes no uh, did you have like what was it like for you did you get to go back and look at references and be like okay now we have to make the halloween costume versions of these costumes from 40 years ago in the comics yes okay this is really a funny story because when um matt shackman and, and jack schaefer uh, as well as mary Livenus came to me and they said for this this uh holiday episode i mean whole um, halloween episode we would like to do this. Um, Kevin Feige is very, very keen on doing this. And then I felt that I had to ask twice, are you sure? Yes, for sure. <laughs> are you sure? And there's like, a, please, you know, I need, I need somebody to tell me what's going on because here I am thinking I'm working for Marvel, you know, studios is great, super galactic costumes, amazing specialty costumes. And suddenly, this is the kind of costumes that you buy in, a, you know, in a, you know, Amazon. Or <laughs> and for our, and they said, yes, we wanted to make it that accurate with the colors, with the bright colors, that super bright yellow and that super bright green for vision with the red face i mean it was but the uh -huh. colors were absolutely perfect <laughs> they were the perfect comic that yeah because comic books have that four color printing that they've yes, always done yes primary colors those yeah. primary colors that you can't it's hard to duplicate in real yeah. life yeah and so uh, you but you did it yeah we did it what and, fabrics did you use i mean oh did you have to God. did you have to test fabrics to see which ones would 
work best? Oh, uh, yes. We use Euro jersey and uh, Lycra for ways. <laughs> Lycra goes like that and goes like that. Perfect. And then, <laughs> yeah. I, and they looked fantastic. Now, another thing you did that I thought was really interesting was Monica Rambeau. She has the gray and the black sweatshirt, which, right. by the way, I bought from the Disney store. You did? I have. I have. Uh, yes, I did. Did they sell them? They Disney sell. Store? They sell that black and that gray sweatshirt because I love when she put that on. Because again, yeah, it wasn't exactly the way the way she looked. I mean, that she was Captain Marvel back yes. in the eighties, yes, with the afro and everything. Yeah. And I, I love that iteration of Captain Marvel. So I'm like, oh my god! And when she put on that sweatshirt, I'm like, I'll bet you, yeah, because that looks like it's like her costume from the eighties in the comics. It kind of has the same black and the in the comics it was black and white. Maybe maybe wasn't that her mother Maria Rambo? Maybe. Well, it, yeah. but I mean the way you did her costume oh, yes. in that sweatshirt, that black I was and the an gray. Of that. It's like yeah, and, and and it looked. I was like, that's so cool, and I'm like, I had to go buy that. And yes, I went to the Disney store. Have to go. And then they had it. So oh my I, God. I bought that as soon as this was back in January, so I could wear it. And it's, by the way, it's great. It's oh great. God. That sweatshirt is great. I gotta go buy it. Yeah, and I had to buy it. But I love what you did because it was, again, not quite like the Halloween costumes yeah. because it was more like a shield. It was yes. almost like a shield Swart. issue. Sword, it's, it's shield and sword. Yeah, sword. It was right. Yeah. It's, pardon me. It's sword. Yeah. It says sword on it. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a sword. Outfit. I, yeah. I forget. I get my Marvel is so. No, of course but no, you it's know. A, and it says it's great because the sweatshirt says sword. It's got the logo. Yeah. Which was very cool. Yeah. Um, we did all that. Yeah. I mean, it's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Now, did you go back? Did they give you references to the old, the old Captain Marvel character from the? the... Yeah, they did. Uh, we look it up, and then, but we have to bring it forward. You know, for the. For the now, for the uh, fans yeah. now. Oh, and it looked and, great. Yeah, and she looked amazing. She rocked it. Uh, we did so much, you know, uh, we had so much fun with uh, Tiona. She was an incredible professional artist. And uh, I think she brought so much to this character and she took it to a level in where she was we all great. got surprised, you know, how, no surprise, happy that. She took it to that level. It was wonderful. Well, I got to ask you, I have to ask you about Agatha Harkness, too. Oh, yes. I mean, Catherine Hahn, suddenly you're in the 1600s and you're creating the costume of a witch. Like yes. they're adding supernatural. I mean, they will. They're going to they have to do blade. They're going to bring the supernatural world and monsters and werewolves. And because with Moon Knight, they've got they can bring in werewolf by night. Yeah. But you got to bring in a sorceress witch. A whole coven back in the 1600. What was that like, too? Did you, when they told you you were gonna, they were gonna do witches? What yes. did you, what did you think about that? I thought it was very appropriate, because this, uh, I was, uh, uh, the whole concept of uh, what is the role of Agatha Harkness. Uh, it is, uh, you know, she's a big sister witch, and she knows that Wanda is going through a lot, and she is tangled into this kind of. Uh, depression dash grief dash you know i mean uh, everything she is a super skillful witch 
Agatha, and she knows how to, you know, uh, she needed to come. It was necessary to have her so she can help uh, WandaVision to find the power within that she had. And this enabled WandaVision to become, uh, Wanda Maximoff to become the Scarlet Witch, which is, you know, the culmination of the Scarlet Witch. And it was a big coming to age of uh, witches. And her costume, um, going back to, uh, you know, Agatha Harkness, her costume was an information of uh, world, you know, traveling ages of witchcraft because she's probably like 1,000 years old in her, you know, in her history life. And I wanted to portray, I knew that these two costumes were gonna be, you know, hanging from harness. And that gave me a cinematic uh, visual opportunity to create layers and, and history for Agatha and take Wanda into my most, the most incredible, you know, technical, yet uh, incredible, design also that uh you know what that we did with Andy Park, this wonderful artist. He brought so much of this uh, of of this uh Wanda. Incredible when he shows the sketch it was like uh, wow this is incredible. Uh but we did uh Agatha and it was a good balance, you know, with the work that Andy did and we did with Agatha. It was amazing. So they actually, you know, were perfect for each other. One thing that Agatha had all along was a a, a brush that it had typically this kind of jewelry has uh, three figures, three female figures that is called the three graces. It's very uh classical type of uh, jewelry from the 1700s or before to these days. We put the subject as an Easter egg in every single costume from the beginning. And uh, when you look up close, I think there is some, in one of the episodes, there is a close up on this in where you see that these three figures are the three witches, her and the three witches and the two witches that she was burning at the stake. Uh, because, don't ask me why, but witches always come in three. And, uh, and that, that's in every book, in every book about witches, they're always coming three. And this is something that I thought it was curious, you know. And I love that you incorporated that into the design. Now, there's one other thing about, about WandaVision that I thought was, again, and a lot of fans... It was Evan Peters coming oh, yeah. in and playing Quicksilver. Now, yes. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you because there, again, you created another Halloween costume that was exactly the character. Now, what was strange when, when, when he comes in, obviously, when we first met Wanda Maximoff, she has her brother, and that was in Avengers Age of Ultron, right. and her brother dies. Yeah. Well, then there's Quicksilver that was over at Fox in the Marvel X-Men movies. 
Oh yes. So so okay. So they give you Evan Peters when when he when I was watching WandaVision and when many fans uh-huh. were watching, the whole internet exploded when he shows up because they're like, well, wait a minute, is he Quicksilver? Yeah. And like, what what's going on here? So uh-huh. like, did they tell you this? Do they go, hey, you know, uh, Quicksilver's actually been depicted in uh in uh the X-Men movies yeah. and the Marvel movies. Yes. So was that confusing for you? Did you like did you have- I did have to ask what was going on because uh <laughs> to be honest at the beginning I didn't know he played uh Quicksilver at the uh at the Fox uh you know at the X-Men property. But um but it was I knew he was an excellent actor. And then uh, one of my assistant designers says, yeah, but he's, you know, and that one is like, oh, okay. I know, the, I like this twist that they're giving it. No, he came, uh, we did that costume uh, very like uh, makeshift. It, it had to look like if it was super makeshift and very quick made, you know. Uh, also the little twin, I think Tommy, no. One of the twins. The, the two boys. Yeah, the two boys. One of the twins. One goes for uh, Quicksilver and the other one goes towards, you know, Doctor Strange kind of Wanda, uh, Maximoff uh, kind of uh, style. But, um, yeah, that was incredible. It was incredible. Yeah. Now, yeah, I'm just curious because without – I don't want I don't want to get you in trouble. No. So in in, in – those two characters, the twins, as they were growing up, in the comics, they become members of the Young Avengers. And throughout the all the new shows that they're introducing, they're introducing these younger characters. Mm-hmm. Did they ever tell you? Did they ever say, you know, these twins that we're introducing, when they get to be the oldest that they are, maybe they'll be, maybe what maybe we're going to see. Future? They told me zero zero point zero. Zero zero point zero. So they never okay. <laughs> they never told me because that's that's probably for the best because now I can't get you in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but because but, but I it's interesting because the Marvel t- I'm a huge Marvel Cinematic Universe. Fan. Okay, good. And I uh, because I grew up reading the comics and I yeah. think what Kevin Feige has done and Victoria Alonso oh and Louis Desposito they. It's unprecedented in Hollywood yeah. history. Yes. And the way you all, all of you costume designers, we did an event where we talked to three other costume designers that all have worked on various Marvel mm-hmm. properties. Now, do you, do you ever get together with your fellow Marvel costume designers and just talk about Marvel movies? Oh yeah. Yeah. I love, I love, uh, yeah. I love, uh, you know, Judiana Makowski is a good friend of mine. Yeah. Also Ruth Carter is a good friend of mine. And uh, we we talk a little bit. We we try to be super professional. Don't break the uh, you know the the secrecy the that we that that we signed our first song to it. So obviously you know we're careful. But um, it just so happens that in the MCU sometimes we use the costumes from another colleague from the last movie. Yep. Or they still shooting, and then uh, you know we might need that costume. We have to time it, 
and uh, sometimes we have the opportunity to tweak it or not. We always make costumes, uh, many, many uh, uh, duplicates of the same costume because these costumes travel a lot when they're not in, uh, you know, uh, costume exhibits or comic cons or, you know, uh, manifestation of the MCU. They actually are working in a movie for right. Marvel. <laughs> Well, now, I mean, obviously you're working or you've wrapped your second Thor movie. Mm -hmm. So are there things that like when you were working on Ragnarok, are there things that you discover with these costumes and these characters and you come up with the day is like, yeah, when we if we do another one, I would love to try this. And obviously you have now a relationship. Taika Waititi, you've worked now on three features. Yeah. You went from Ragnarok to Jojo Rabbit. Right. Which suddenly you're. You're in Nazi Germany. <laughs> That's a little different than Scar, yes. you know? Yes, yes. And obviously period costumes and you're dressing him. You go from dressing Korg, a, a motion capture character, to dressing Tycho's Imaginary Hitler. Hitler, yeah. I mean, and obviously there's a lot of, I think Nazis might be in cinema history more depicted on film than any other villains in the history of cinema. Yeah. So I... When you worked on that, how do you make how I guess how was your working relationship with Taika? Like, is it the same on a Ragnarok as it would be on a Jojo Rabbit? The relationship the two of you have? Oh, always. Yeah, we we uh you know, we're family, really. We uh we have great respect and love for each other. Uh but also I know I know his mind. And uh, sometimes it's, you know, there are no need to work. So if he shows me a, a picture of just, you know, there's a lot of communication. I mean, we, we really talk a lot, but, uh, but, it's, uh, but I know his mind. This is important. I know his mind and I know what he likes. I know the style of his work. Um, the sets that he always runs are happy very very happy they're not absolutely animosity in our in our project so that makes uh, a lot of um, you know incredible conductivity conductivity of uh, of uh, to create to be creative and to be fluid um no he's uh, he's amazing yeah uh, i guess throughout uh, very strong re working relationships. I think they just, you know, they just go stronger. And, uh, you know, I'm very happy to to know Mr. Watiti and work with him in the last three when, when you guys went to work on, obviously when you did Ragnarok, he wanted to bring more color into the, the, the world of Thor. Right. Now, when, which I, and so did Marvel, were they okay with that? Like as a, so they were, they brings in it, which, yeah. I, which I really, one of the things I loved about Ragnarok is that extra added color. Now, when you go on to do Love and Thunder, did you want to do something different in terms of a color palette? Like when you're going to do this, because you, you're doing the same thing, that might get a little boring, but in mm -hmm. terms of a philosophy, when you do a sequel, is there things that you as a costume designer would like to try? Are you able to, like, if you want to change the palette up or 
you want to do something yeah. different or maybe you learned something on Ragnarok that you wanted to bring into the costuming on Love and Thunder. Are you able to do that? Yeah, we're able to. Depend. I mean, also without saying anything, no, no spoilers. No, no I'm spoilers. Just curious. I think I think there is always opportunities to do things differently, and obviously we are dictated by the the script and the uh, situations of the script, and you know if there are different worlds or if there is different you know countries and stuff like that. Um, it all comes with every single, you know, uh, you know, part of the script we right. adapt. Right, yeah. which is which is great. I mean, obviously, yeah. I think everyone's very excited to see that. I know I'm excited to see Love and Thunder, and he has gone on record last week, and he said something to the effect of it's bonkers, that yes. the movie's more bonkers, bonkers. Than, than Ragnarok. And I'm like, great. I'm yeah, all it's in on good. That. Yeah. So well, listen. Uh, let me. I'm going to go consult my notes again and see where yes. where um uh you know I wanted to ask. I mean, a lot of people um want to know how can they get into this business. Obviously, fashion. I think especially fashion has exploded for younger people because with Instagram and everything, people are creating their own fashion. They're being able to, able to put them on social media. Where should people go when if they're interested in getting into costume design or or creating clothes, where do you begin? Where would you suggest people train? I, I strongly believe you need to have an academic uh, education. And uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, you know, discourage people to do that because it, it just, it gives you a good structure. I wasn't, and I always say this, I uh, wasn't able to go to a fancy school I wanted to, but I didn't have the money. I went to Los Angeles Trade Tech in in, in the downtown LA. And I'm very proud of it. Uh, you know, and I think I turned out to be okay, <laughs> you know, in my career. So Well, like you say, like you went to trade tech. I think that trade a trade education is very important. Learning yeah. about textiles. How how important is that? It is important. The school was technical. It wasn't, uh, I had to then pursue that in my own. Taking that path of, uh, you know, feeling that crack of of not not a creative part that that school didn't have. Because they were, yeah, they were a little bit creative, but it was more technical. I work more, uh, I work harder in trying to compensate that so I took, you know, like incredible, you know, artistic lessons elsewhere. Uh, if I saw a museum, I would go into museum and stay hours and just sketching or trying to understand the masters of painting. They have they they have so much information for classic costumes, you know, historical costumes. I will do, and also. Start from the beginning. Don't jump from being a PA to really be an assistant designer. Is the higher you go, the you know the harder you hit the floor. So um, you have to you have to go every step of the way. I right. think. Well, also you know you you say you have a, a studio in Italy. Yes. Like if you go to Florence or something, and do you have favorite museums that you would? suggest people could go see like some places in the world that specifically 
have great frescoes or things that you can learn yeah, from? Yeah, I mean, yes. Uh, but also, you know, New York City has the Met. Uh, we have the Getty. Uh, you know, any any country, Mexico City has the Museum of Anthropology, Anthropologia Historia, which is incredible for, you know, also everything, you know, uh, everywhere. Yeah, just learn all you can, learn I guess. Learn all you can and be accurate and be... Try to be, uh, you know, uh, you know, to fill your soul with culture and uh, civilization. You know, understand civilization because you're dressing people. Right. You have to know that. Yeah. Well, listen, I can't thank you enough. I before I let you go, can people find you on social media? Yes, I am on Instagram. Uh, I try to be more you know, proactive within Instagram. But uh, yeah, you find me there, Magis Rubeo or Magis C. Rubeo. That's me. Follow and, me. And, uh, you know, it's been announced that Taika Watiti might be doing a Star Wars movie. Mm-hmm. It, let's say if he is, if that happens, would you be working on that movie? I don't know. <laughs> I have to wait if he asks. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. For thank being with you. us, uh, what a what a great guest you've been, and I've thank I've, you, thank you, Rob. Thank I'm you. a great fan of you. Oh, this is oh, this has been so much fun. Um, and I want to thank you for being here, and I also wanted to thank our sponsor. Our sponsor today is the Fox Studios Costumes. It's located on Los Angeles's West Side. The Fox On Lot Warehouse offers an extensive array of costumes and textiles from all eras, and provides costume designers and costumers an opportunity to turn their ideas into works of art. And this episode is dedicated to the Ibarra family. Thank you, Ibarra family. Thank you for everything that you do, including our wonderful producer, Martika, because this show would not be here without Martika Ibarra and the legendary Marilyn Vance. Uh, And I guess thank thank you you to you and thank you you to our viewers for tuning in. Thank, thank you, you Martika Ibarra and Marilee Vance. Yeah. Amazing. And and thank you to all of our viewers and listeners on the Hollywood, the Designing Hollywood podcast. Very I'm your host, great. Robert Meyer Burnett. And you can find me on Twitter at BurnettRM. Find me on Instagram at Robert Meyer Burnett and on YouTube at Robert Meyer Burnett and the Burnett work. Thank you to our sponsor, Fox Studios Costume. Also, thank you to our viewers. Be sure to follow Designing Hollywood Podcast on social media and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube for all of our episodes.